We go. This week's parsha, this parsha has told us a good chaydesh and a good yomtiv. Yeah. <laughs> yomtiv, you know. It's a, one of my friends shared with me that it's a joke, but he says that his when he was in school, so he had an Israeli professor who never had Thanksgiving before, and he was invited to his first Thanksgiving dinner. He showed up Wednesday evening, seven p.m. with a <laughs> bottle of wine. <laughs> Thanksgiving Eve. <laughs> All right, thank you. Huh? Erev, there you go. But the Jewish days begin the night before. That's how we do it. Okay. Parshas Toldos. Here we go. So we're going to be introduced to the birth of the twins, uh, Yaakov and Esav, or Esav and Yaakov. Esav was born first. Here we go. Ve'ila Toldos, and these are the offsprings. So we're going to discuss not only the physical offspring, but also the actions of Yaakov and Esav and Yitzchak and Rivka, um, of Yitzchak ben Avram, Yitzchak the son of Avraham, okay, so Yitzchak, the, Isaac, the son of Abraham, Avraham, Abraham, hold it as Yitzchak gave birth to Isaac. That should bother us. These are the offspring of Yitzchak, the son of Avram, Avraham gave birth to Yitzchak. Okay, two questions. First of all, it's redundant. Second of all, Avraham did not give birth to Yitzchak. His wife gave birth to Yitzchak. Okay? As, uh, as we shared uh, recently in Bovavi, right, the story of this lady who called up her husband and said, remember when I was pregnant, you said, we told everybody we're pregnant, and when I had a child, you said, told everybody that we had a child, she says, well, we drove the car into the lake. Yeah? If it's we, it's we. You can't you can't pick and choose with this, right? She had the child. It wasn't Avram. So Rashi's bothered by this right away, and Rashi says it's because um, this the birth of Yitzchak, even though it didn't happen immediately after the story of of uh, Avimelech, when the whole story with her with him and Sarah. But you have Leitzani Hadar. You're going to have people the who want to find issues with everything, and they're going to say, oh, maybe Avram can't have a child. Maybe this child really comes from somebody else. So the Torah is guaranteeing us and also letting us know that it was clear to everybody that Yitzchak was Avram's son. They were spitting images of each other. So of course Yitzchak's the son of Sarah, which by the way, when you pray for somebody is why you use the mother's name. Because you know somebody for a fact came from that mother. This child is, was a part of that body. You don't know for sure who the father is. I don't know for sure. Until you do a DNA test, it's an assumption you assume that the woman's husband is this kid's father. But that's an assumption. Do you know that for sure? No, that for sure. It's a chazaka. It's a status. So when you daven for somebody, we use the mother's name. It's more of an effective prayer because we know for a fact this is the mother. Why say Avram is Yitzchak? The Torah is letting us know that Yitzchak and Avram were spitting images of each other. So everybody would say Avram gave birth. Avram was the father of Yitzchak. And that's also why it says Avram instead of Sarah. Because Sarah is not a chiddush, not a novel idea that she was the mother. She was clearly the mother. It, it, not everybody was saying Avram was the father, though, and therefore the Torah repeats itself uh, over here when sharing this idea. Now, an additional idea, but Derek Hasidus from the Heilige Balshamtivs, Husa Yagan Eleinu, the Balshamtiv says a, a wonderful idea, which is that Avram represents chesed, kindness. Not only human kindness, but God's kindness. Yitzchak is gevura, strength, which is din. This is Hebrew din. Yeah? Not noise in English, but din, <laughs> judgment. Um, so the Torah is hinting to us that 
Avram Whenever a Jew goes through something, you should know it's really the chesed of Hashem that's giving birth to something that looks like judgment. Nothing that Hashem does is ultimately not for the good. So Avraham, it's the kindness that is the source of all din. There's got to be a, a greater master plan and something uh, uh, positive that's sourcing the issue that uh, the issue that we're going through. Okay. Yitzchak is 40 years old when he marries Rivka. According to most opinions, she was three. We'll see why we're mentioning that. There is an opinion of Taisvis. Taisvis, Rashi's grandchildren, hold that she was actually 14. Okay, Rivka was 14 when she got married. But we'll follow the, the, the main opinion, which is three. So you have Yitzchak, 40. Uh, Sarah is three. She is the sister of Love and Arami. He took her for a wife. Why am I mentioning she's a sister? Because... We can't use our families or our backgrounds as an excuse to not accomplish in life. There's things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's different situations that Hashem put us into. But even people who come from terrible, pathetic situations with a brother like this and a father like this can become or just the opposite. That's what can help cause a person to become a Rivka, uh, a Rivka Imenu. So they're married. Now we don't know much about the first 20 years of marriage. It just says they got married. And then the next Pasuk says... Yitzchak prayed to Hashem on behalf of his wife. Because she was barren. So he wanted her to have a child. And Hashem was entreated by him. And after listening to Yitzchak's tefillah, Yitzchak's prayer, so Rivka conceived. Very interesting. First of all, the word vayetar, the word uh, uh, the also means arrow, like a, like a spear, like something sharp. So vayetar here is an expression of prayer, but it also means, in its literal definition, it means it's a spear. Tefillah is something that pierces walls. It pierces blockages. So when something was meant to be or would have been a normal, call it what we refer to as nature, even though we know there's no such thing as nature, but the way that everything was working, you'll have this facade there, Tefillah is vayetar. It, it cuts right through. It's a spear. It pierces right there. And Yitzchak davened on behalf of his wife. Davened on behalf of his wife. Now this is very interesting. Why is he having on behalf of his wife and not on behalf of himself? Isn't he the father? So the uh, explanation given is actually quite simple. And that is Avram was, Avraham was already promised that he's going to have children and descendants through Yitzchak. Ki liyitzchak yikari lechazara, right? Hashem said, through Yitzchak is going to be all of Klai Yisrael. Now, Yitzchak, was, Yitzchak knew at some point he's going to have children. That's what God's promise. Hashem didn't promise that these children are going to come from him and this wife. The same way that Avram Avinu ended up with a hugger who gave birth to Yishmol, Yitzchak was very concerned that... Maybe he'll have children, but it wouldn't be with this tzaddikus. So that's why, interestingly, when you look at the words, it's, it stands right out. Like, you're davening for your wife. Yeah, Yitzchak was there. It was completely on behalf of his wife. He wanted to make sure that she would have this, uh, she would have this zechus. That's why he says, this was, this was for her. And the Medrash actually tells us the, the prayer that he said, the Medrash Rabbah in, in 63.5, in Samach Gimel Hay. 
says Yitzchak hispalo v'amar Yitzchak's tefila was Rebbeinu Shalom kol banim sha'atanaisenly every all the children that you give me yiyu minat sadekas hazais please let it be through this sadekas so you see from over here he never prayed even for himself I mean obviously he had his regular uh, structure of tefila but uh, his his main prayer was for Sarah and the commentators point out here was for Rivka I'm sorry that uh, the Best way to have your prayers answered is when you're actually davening on somebody else. He, of course, he gained from this too. The best way to have your tefillah answered is when you, when you expand your prayers, which is why all of our prayers that we daven in a sitter, all plural, all plural. Very rarely going to find a, a, uh, a private prayer. Look, go through all the Shemona Esrei. Do you say Rifa'ini Hashem? If you're Hasidish, you'll say Rifa'ini. Yeah? But not because, not because you're speaking for yourself, right? Because that's how you pronounce it. But we say Rifa'inu. Hashem, heal us. Who, who, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Us. First of all, yourself, everybody else in Shul, and all of Klai Yisrael. Which is why I personally have a lot of Hakar Sataif to anybody who comes and Davins with us. Because it's not like, oh, you showed up to Shul. You just, you just, like, you're coming to Davin for me. And, and I'm here davening for you. That's what happens when you come together as a, as a Kehillah. Whether you like it or not, if you daven from a sitter, you just prayed for everybody else in the room. That's a beautiful and, and fantastic um, uh, uh, realization that we need to have. That when, when other people come to shul, like appreciate that they're there. They didn't need to come to daven with you in this shul. They didn't need to come to, you know, appreciate it. Say, Anybody daven, you're like, thank you. You know, I was included in all the Kali Yisrael. Was, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really, we, we need to have a tremendous hakara satay for each other. Now the word vayetar, um, uh, tefillah meaning piercing I just want to share a, uh, a couple ideas how to expand on this and one is from Rav Shalom Shradron this is an idea that we shared uh, a few years ago um, there's uh, Rav Shalom Shradron the Magad Yushalayim he to- tells over a story he was standing at the Kaisal Maravi at the Kotel and um, this is before the Kotel Plaza you know where you have all the security you'd walk up you know after you know, after Baruch Hashem, you know, the Eretz Yisrael and the Kaisal became back under um, the Jewish control. So people would pull right up to the wall and they would daven. They'd pull up with their cars and they'd pull up with their feet. You didn't need to go through any sort of security. So Reb Shalom Shadron is davening by the Kaisal. He hears a very loud noise as he's davening. He turns around and there's two tough looking guys who didn't seem to be too, you know, too godly. And uh, they, they, they come cruising up like on their motorcycles. Right up to the wall, like full fledged. Their motorcycle, you know, just, you know, fine. And especially to Rosh and Shradron, this was not a common sight uh, to have, you know, two, two people like pull, even though you could drive up, but it wasn't, first of all, not many people had cars. And then motorcycles and Hevra looking like this, they wasn't. So, all right, so he's, they, they've caught his attention. So. Um, he says he, he watched them get off their bikes right in front of the Kaisel and they walk up to the wall, they kiss the wall, they look at each other, they say a few words, they wrote something on a paper and they stick it into the wall. And Rosh Hashanah says he was so curious what they wrote. But you can't just, you're not just going to take their papers. It's private. It's private. What are you going to do? Look at what they wrote? Of course not. So he says, just then, they're punished by them. He says, I'm telling you what happened. Brought a wind and the paper landed at my feet. And I said, you know what, I did it. Lord, you took it out of the wall, not me. Not me. Okay? So, 
He lands at his feet. So he looks up at Shemayim and he says to Rabban Shalom in Yiddish, he says, Adank, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. And he opens it up and he says, inside the note, it said, it says, Ribono Shel Olam, yeah? it says, Dear God, Maccabi Tel Aviv for the championship. That's what they want. They want, they want Maccabi Tel Aviv for the championship. So he says, when he told over the story, he says, I learned a very powerful lesson from these, these, uh, these two guys. There's nothing too trivial to pray for. Championship, championship, soccer, basketball, <laughs> whatever it is. Like, you want something? Just daven for it. And the, and the, the strongest way to daven is really when you care about something. Even though, yes, we have a sitter for a, what's called a tzura, for a form of prayer. But the most impactful tefillos are tefillos that are coming from a place where we really care about this. This is, this is intense. This is from my heart. There's something on. And sometimes that means not using a sitter. We think when we people what are you going to daven? I'm going to look inside at the hill. I'm going to look inside the sitter. I'm going to have it in mind by shachas. True, we should do that because the words of the sages are very powerful. There's a reason why they use those words. But that's not all tefillah. Tefillah is constant. Tefillah is just me talking to Hashem, having a conversation. That's a real, that's a, a, a real prayer. And these are the prayers that um, Yitzchak and Rivkar, they davening from a sitter? No, but Yitzchak's standing there and he's opposite his wife, meaning he's davening on behalf of his wife and he's, he, he says a tefillah and it pierced HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, was uh, intrigued by this. There's an incredible story, which is like, you hear this, you're like, what? It's wild. It's like one of these miracle stories, right? But the, uh, there are people who saw this, like, j- happen. And Rebchaim Kanievsky said there's a mitzvah to, to spread this incident. There was a young father who walked to Rebchaim Kanievsky's office and uh, didn't have an office. Rebchaim Kanievsky's home, where everybody would just walk through. It was a public domain. Um, and they didn't want a bracha. They didn't want a blessing. He walked into the room with his seven-year-old child. Okay? This kid's seven years old. First grade. First grade kid. And he asks the God Adar, he says, my son wants to tell you a story. Someone wants to tell you a story. And this kid, this, as what happened was, this, this child had cancer. Still had cancer when he told over the story. And when, they, when the parents were explaining to him what he's going to go through with chemo, so they told him he could expect his hair to fall out. And when they finished talking to this kid who's fighting for his life, um, he said, but if I lose my payas, I'm not going to look Jewish. And he started crying. He started crying. He says, I want payas. I want payas. And this kid tells Rebchaim Kanievsky, he says, and I've been davening every day, and I say, Hashem, I wake up in the morning, and I say, Hashem, I've been taught everything you do is for the best. If you want me to have cancer, I'll have cancer. But please let me look like a yid. And this kid was sitting in front of Rebchaim, bald as can be, with beautiful curly pace. Beautiful curly pace. He, he told Rebchaim, he never missed a day asking Hashem. All of his hair fell out, except for the corners right here. He had like long, long Yerushalmi pace. And Rebchaim like looks at this kid and he's like, you got to spread this. You got to, you know, just for people to realize, like this is, you know, this is a recent thing. It's, this kid had, understands tefillah. He converses with the Rebbein Shlilo, and he daven for something. And, and, uh, you know, a little first grade kid. But Vayetar, he davened straight from the heart. He davened, you know, he, he meant it. He was sincere. He wanted, he wanted to uh, look like a yid and feel like a yid. And their bunch, uh, you know, kept his feelers going. It's incredible. Okay.
Let's keep going. So the Pasuk says, Vayisraitzetu um, habonim, oh, oh, one more idea. It says, if you look in the Pasuk, if anybody has a Chumash, it says, Yitzchak Davin for his wife, Kiakara he, because she was barren. Now the, the way to spell he is usually hey yud aleph. Here it's spelled hey vav aleph. It's just a chirik under the vav. So it's written like who, but it's pronounced he. Okay? So. A chirik under the hey. A chirik under the hey. Thank you. Yeah. Chirik under the hey. Right? Uh, he, hey vav aleph. So it's written like who. But it's pronounced he. Thank you. So the Meshachachma says that the reason for this, he says, it's not uncommon to find this, but if you do, there must be a reason. So he says a fascinating idea. The Gemara Nivama says that the age that you can expect, um, the age that you can expect a woman's body to be able to handle a pregnancy. The youngest age, to be able to handle it appropriately, the Gemara Nivama says, is 11 years old. Okay? In other words, not that the body won't suffer from a pregnancy. So the Meshachachma says, if Yitzchak is 60 years old, when Yitzchak, when uh, Esau and Yaakov are born, how old was Rivka? So he was 40, and now he's 20 years later, he's 60. Rivka got married at 3, so now she's 23. You know, we think like, she's a, she was 23 years old. And I know, and anybody standing there, especially when they were living, you know, well over, well into their hundreds and two hundreds, whatever it was. She's 23 years old. So she got married three, it's now 20 years later. Now, what's three to 23? 20 years. But 11 years old is the proper age, the minimum age for a regular healthy pregnancy, according to the Gemara. So now she's 23, but it's only starting from age 11 that you could expect to have a uh, healthy pregnancy. So that is how many years? 12 years, from 11 to 23. It's really been about 12 years that they were hoping for a pregnancy. They didn't have one. Hey, Vav, Aleph. Hey is five. Vav is six. And Aleph is one. Five plus six plus one is 12. She so says, that's why the Pasuk says, Ki akara hi, to hint to us that she was 12, it was... Really, 12 years. So it's pronounced he, but it's written who to, to let us know that it was really a, a total of 12 years that, he's, that he you know, was, had been davening like this. But at a certain point, the, the arrow of his tefillah, of his, uh, of his prayers, hit home. Okay. So what happens? The children are struggling inside of her. Now, she doesn't know yet she's having twins. She just thinks there's one person here who's very confused. <laughs> it's very confused because every time she passes by a base medrash yeah, and every time she passes by a house of idol worship also struggling to get up there's something strange and interestingly this is what bothered her because it says she went to ask a question and they told her there's two nations in your womb and that seemed to calm her down it seemed to calm her down right what does it calm down you just found out you're going to have a kid who, who's going to have like a, a pull towards Avodah Zarah but it seems she was fine with it like I don't know if she was happy, it doesn't tell us, but she did, she did, it didn't bother her the way it bothered her before. Like to have somebody who's like, call it, who's trying to dance at two sides of the fence, they call him Yiddish, the Tansa, two chasnas at the same time, right? You can't dance, at two, you can't be at two weddings at once, you have two events to go to, you gotta pick one, you, you can't be there. To have this one kid inside of her who's trying to be in the base medrash, but also worshiping idols, she's like, I can't, 
nabach. You know, you know what type of life that kid's going to have to either be a, be a faker their whole life or just not have a path and, and you know, and uh, confuse people, confuse themselves and be doing this and be doing that. But once she was told, like, there's two paths here, but each each path is there. It seems like it was a little bit of a, of a it, was, it was kind of soothing for her. So by these children are struggling inside of her. As we just explained, she passed by uh, a bismedrish. Yaakov would start moving. He wants to go out. When they pass by a house of Odazara, Esav gets moving. But Tomer, and she said, uh, What do I need this for? That's not the literal translation. But what do I need this for? But she went to ask Hashem. She went to ask uh, Shame and Avers. There's a, there's a lot uh, of Tyra on this. Um, the, the Musr of this is they ask, you know, a child inside of a, a Jewish mother learning the entire Torah. So where's Yaakov going? I believe we spoke this out last year. Says, where's, it's, why is Yaakov trying to leave? He's, he's inside a base medrash with his mother. Okay? I want to share something before we share this idea. Beautiful idea from my sister. Uh, I have a sister, Rachel Friedman, who lives in Eretz Yisrael. Very special lady. Never really got to know her. I'm, uh, I was born way after. Well, a little bit. I got to know my siblings uh, a little bit. She's a very, very special woman. So she told me a beautiful idea on, on the Pesach Seder. The Pesach Seder, we say, who knows one? I know one is Hashem, one is Hashem, right? God. What's two? The Luchos. What's three? The, the Avais, right? The Patriarchs. Four, the Imais. I'm not going to test everybody. Five, Tyra, six, Mishnah. Let's keep going. Six, Mishnah, seven days of the week. Shabbos, eight, Mila, nine. What's nine? Pregnancy. What does pregnancy have to do with anything? God, Luchos, Torah, Mishnah. Everything's about Jewish, right? It's all, it's all about Klal Yisrael. If you're not Jewish, do you have like 15 months of pregnancy? Like, what, what's with pregnancy? What's, what's nine months is pregnancy? What, what, what's special about that? So she said, she told me such a beautiful idea. She says that when you leave the world of God, you only care about results. About what I see what works for me, and this is what my intention was. And if it doesn't come out the way I intended, there's a problem here. And this whole thing was a total waste. So when you live in the world of Rabbi Shalom, you don't, you're not expecting the results. What you're expecting is, whatever Hashem gives me, that's what I have. She says, only by Klai Yisrael is the pregnancy itself as chus. The pregnancy itself is a merit. Meaning, let's say, somebody's pregnant for four months. If a Jewish woman, she's four months pregnant and she loses the child. Let's say you have a woman who's eight months pregnant, nine months pregnant, and loses the child. How does a Yid view that? So she says, for eight months, I was a walking Aron Kodesh. For eight months, I had a child inside me studying Torah. Hashem didn't want this child to come to the world. Does that make it a waste? Or was I a walking Aaron Kaidish? Right? It's the it's the which pregnancy is really a analogy for so many things that go on in our lives. Where there's a process, there's incubation, there's things that we need to toil with and struggle with until ultimately sometimes there's the result that we expect and sometimes it's not. But by Klai Yisrael, it's, it's not the birth. It doesn't say nine months till birth. 
is nine. Nine months is a yid understands that it's the it's the it's the incubation period itself. It's the growth that, that struggle that this that the baby, so to speak, or us in this world need to go through until the next world. That that itself is worth it. So a person, okay, Hashem decided that the you know this child is not going to make it the whole way, or it's going to whatever it is. But does that make the whole thing a waste? So with that, let's get back into this. So let, let's get back to this idea. So Yaakov is learning with a malach. So they ask the question, why is Yaakov, uh, why is Yaakov struggling to go to the base Medrash? So there's, two, there's a few answers given. Number one is, it's very nice to learn Torah by a malach, but if everything is spoon-fed and it's coming easy, it didn't do anything for me. Or it's not doing as much for me. It certainly does something for me because it's putting it into our genes and our DNA, which is why tshuva is called tshuva. You know what tshuva means? To return. You're returning to what? You're returning to the way we originally were with our beauty when we were, when we were inside our mother's womb or when we were just becoming Jewish. Or whatever that. There's this, there's this uh, closeness that we have to the Rabbanjah. And when we do, when, but what happens is we make mistakes and we slip and then we do tshuva. Tshuva means to return. What if, if I was never there. You were there. You think you weren't there. You were there. It's something that's inside of every yid. But there's no work. that There's no work that gets there. So Yaakov Avinu, one answer to given, Yaakov Avinu wanted to get out to the base medrash and get cracking, right? He wanted to start working. He wanted to start uh, putting, putting the amelis in. Um, according to this, Rebchaim Shulavit says, that's why there's no obligation to stand up for a woman who's expecting a child. You might say, there's a kid in there who knows the entire Torah. His little Talmud Chacham. When a Torah scholar walks around the room, you've got to stand up. They say, no, you don't need to stand up because this kid's not working. There's no way to work. It's being spoon-fed. So there's nothing, you don't need to respect such a, it's not a place for everybody else to start respecting something that God makes naturally. If this kid were work for something, then you'd stand up. Be a Talmud But until then, there's no obligations. So that's, that's one approach. Another approach given, and then I'll, we'll, we'll go over, and that is um, that, and this is the Bali Musr say, it's very nice to learn all the Torah, but if it means sitting next to a Russia like Esav, it's worthwhile leaving. It's worthwhile leaving. It's, Yaakov's like, hey, I'm being, I'm being taught by a Malach. I have an angel next to me. If you're in the wrong crowd, out. I prefer to be amongst the right people and amongst then that a person will grow a lot more in that fashion. Yeah, go ahead. You had a question. This may be off topic, but you were one Now, um... So they tell her there's two nations in your womb. There's going to be two regimes. The older one's going to serve the younger one. It came time to give birth. Behold, here are the twins. The first one comes out admini. The first one comes out red. Very hairy. Which And they all called him Esav. See, this is fascinating. Chaim Kanievsky points out, Esav never got his name from his parents. The Pasuk says, Vayikra'u, they, referring to the community, called him Esav. Why? So the Medrash tells us that because he was born red and hairy, they were concerned that he had some, uh, what's hemophilia? What's the word? That when the, the, when the body's very red, you, have an, you keep bleeding. You keep bleeding. Hemophilia, they can't stop it. So they were concerned when, on the eighth day, Yaakov had a bris, but they didn't give Esav a bris because they thought it was dangerous. For him, they thought it was something physical that to wait for this baby to come down. And then by the time he got a little bit older, he refused to have a bris milah. Yeah, Esav never had a bris milah. 
And therefore it says, Vayikra Ushumai, everybody called him Esav. Esav just means ready-made. He never got a name from his parents because he never had a bris mila. Okay? And after that, his brother came out. He's holding on to the heel of Esav. They called him Yaakov for holding on to the heel. Right? When my son Yaakov, people ask him, I've, I've been there. People say, what's your name? He says, my name's Yaakov. People aren't Jewish. You know, we're in the airport or whatever it is. And like, what does that mean? He's like, heel. <laughs> okay. And they give him a look. He gives them a look and he keeps going. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> what does your name mean? <laughs> you know what? I saw a beautiful idea, by the way. What the, what the, why they name him Heel? It's fantastic. Yaakov and Esav, um, Esav, sorry, Yaakov came out after Esav. He grabbed onto Esav's heel to not have to put his mother through two labors. So it was Akaras Atayv of the parents mentioning to him, he was trying to minimize having his mother having to push twice. You know, so he, he held on this way. Esav came out, I'm coming along. You know, he, he's already taking care of his, uh, of his, uh, of his mother. Okay. It's a chesid the Shavar, I forgot who says that. But Yitzchak, when she showed us, when Yitzchak is now 60 years old, when, um, when, they, uh, when um, Yaakov and Esav were born. Okay. Now here is the question. The question is like this. When it comes to later on, pretty soon, there's going to be a dispute amongst the, about the Bechorah, about the firstborn. We're going to find that Rashi points out that Yaakov really tricked Esav because he, he was really the firstborn. You familiar with this Rashi? Why is he the firstborn? Because he was, um, he was formed first. And the parable that Rashi gives is like this. If you put two things into a tube, so the thing you put in last will come out first. So Esav was born first, but Yaakov was formed first. So really he had the right to the Bechorah. Really he's the firstborn because he was for, formed first. So Rashi says, this always bothered me because very cute, very nice. However, that's not the halacha. The halacha is the first child to be issued from the womb is the Bechor. So you could say that about any set of firstborn twins. But the halacha is... Whichever one's the peta rechem, whichever one's the first to be issued, is the bechor. So what's this mishigas? What, 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 call it, you know, what, what's this whole? The answer is chas v'shalom that it's a mishigas. Rather, here's the vort. I saw this as I was like, this is so beautiful. It's fantastic. I saw from Yechiel Meir from Ostrov. He says as follows: The Gemara on Hedrin Davtzad the Aleph the base ninety one B. The Gemara the Gemara brings a dispute. Between Antoninus and Rebbe. Antoninus is a descendant of Esau, and Rebbe is a descendant of Yaakov. Rebbe, who authored all of our Mishnah. They were best friends. They learned together. There's a lot of stories about Antoninus ran the Romans, and Rebbe was the head of Klal Yisrael, and they used to secretly learn together. They were fascinating Gemaras about how Antoninus would get to Rebbe with nobody knowing because he always was protected. He would hire two guards to go in underground tunnels, but then those guards had to be killed. Forget it. It's like a whole wild thing going on over there. But anyway, they were very close. So they got into, they, they argued in Torah. And so he says, um, they had a conversation. The Gemara Sedra says, Antoninus and Rebbe had a conversation. When does the Yitzhahara start to control a person? Does it come at the time of conception? When the child's conceived, 
you immediately have a Yitzhahara. Interestingly, you don't get a Yitzhahara for a girl till she's 12 and a boy till he's 13. Until a bar mitzvah boy is 13 and a bar mitzvah girl is 12, there's no Yitzhah Tov. You're living completely off of a Yitzhahara, which is fascinating. It's fascinating. Rav Shach once told a father, Rav Shach once told a father who was complaining that all other kids in his class are learning and his kid refuses to learn. He says, you're lucky your kid's not giving in to his Yitzhahara to learn. He says, all his friends are learning because they want to they make their parents happy, they want to make their Rebbe happy, they want to cover, they want honor in class, they want to get a good grade. Your kid doesn't go for any of that. Just wait till he gets a little older, you'll have a lot of nachas. Once they're 20, once they're 30, once they, you know, once they learn, but they're not giving in to the Yitzhahara. It's like, okay, be it as it may. When does Yitzhahara start controlling a person? This time, when the child's conceived or from the time it's born? And the Gemara comes out um, that it goes from the time you're born. When a person's born, you immediately get a Yitzhahara. As soon as the baby's issued from the womb. And Rebbe says, Shadavar Zed, this that Yitzhahara controls from the womb, Lamarti me Antoninus. I learned from learning Bechavrusa with Antoninus. He pointed this out to me from the Torah. How, why? Because he pointed out the Torah says, Lepesach at the entrance, Chattas Rovets, sin crouches. And Antoninus interpreted this to mean, he taught Rebbe what this means in the Torah, and Rebbe agreed with him, is that at the entrance of the world, as soon as a baby's entering the world, chata, sin, rovates is already crouching, and it grabs the person as soon as it enters the world. That's why a baby comes out with clenched fists, very selfish. Baby comes out crying, and it, it, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. It needs that to, to uh, for, for anybody to know what it needs. The bottom line is, Antoninus teaches Rabbi Lepesach Hattas Rebbe's. Okay. So, here we go. The reason why, says Rabbi Chiyo Meir from Oshrov, he says, the reason why the Torah usually says that the one issued first is the Bechar, is because when do you first come alive? When you have Yitzhahara. So deep and so beautiful. You're not alive till you have Yitzhahara. Until you struggle with something and you have to fight through something, that, that's what gives you life. That's life. So, the first baby to be issued is the first one to get a Yitzhahar. So that's why it's the Bukhar. The second one got the Yitzhahar second. Very nice, you were conceived first. But the first, the one that came out first has a Yitzhahar first. So that's when you're, you're born, when you have a Yitzhahar. This is incredible. You're, if you're known of the Yitzhahar, you're pushy, you're not alive. You're not born. By Yaakov and Esav, though, we know from the Torah, even inside the mother's womb, they already had their Yitzhahara. Let's go back to what Linda was saying before. They already had their kochos. Yaakov had his kochos, and he was all about Olam Haba. What, how am I going to utilize this world to connect it to the next world? Connect the two worlds, make everything godly. Esau, already inside the mother's womb, already had his Yitzhahara. So what he's answering is, that Yaakov and Esav were different than any other set of twins. They were different than any other child. Usually, it's Lepesachatis Rebates. By them, that's not the way it was. And therefore, when you conceive, you should come first. Because whoever was conceived first got the Yitzhahara first. They got the Yitzhahara as soon as they were conceived inside the mother's womb. And that's why you could say that um, Yaakov, even before it was sold to him, after he purchased it for sure, first of all, he was conceived and had his Yitzhahara first. And secondly, Esau sold it to him. So get out of here. It's the end, end of the story. Once you sell it, there's no conversation anymore. But there's such a, a when, when I saw that, I was like, that's so beautiful that you're, 
what we're learning from this Pasuk is, we're learning from the Pasuk of Yaakov Avinu being a Bechor, even though he came out second, it always bothered me. That's not the rule. The answer is, you're not alive until your Yetzirah is there. It's very, it's uh, mamish. It's beautiful. Yeah, go ahead. Nice idea. So, what happens is, so, Esau, uh, so Yaakov holds on to the heel of Esau, they start getting older. Rashi says when they were younger, you couldn't really tell the difference between the two. But as they're getting older, Yaakov started presenting, you know, going towards the base medrash with his leanings and and Esav was uh, headed to out in the field and he was involved in trapping and as the Mefarshim, Rashi and others point out, trapping not only trapping animals but trapping people with his mouth. Manipulator. Making things seem the way that he, he wanted people, uh, he wanted people to, uh, to view him. So what happens? Right after it says that he was a trapper, Yitzchak loved Esav because there was trappings in his mouth. Now people could misread this to say that Yitzchak had no clue what was going on. Like Esav completely pulled the wool over his eyes. It's nothing to do with that, as we'll see in a moment. Um, Esav, sometimes it's a beautiful and important idea. Sometimes you have to let people pull the wool over, think, think they're pulling the wool over your eyes. Sometimes you have to allow that to happen in order for them to even stay in the parsha of integrity and being connected. Meaning, you don't need to react every time somebody else has shakar in their life. Sometimes you need to just like let them think that you don't know. It's fine. You pull, I don't know what's going on. Okay, I do this all the time with my kids, and I'm sure my parents. I'm sure my parents do this me all the time, and and I know. Things that I was doing as a teenager. I'm sure my father knew exactly what was going on. He didn't, you know. Remember one, one incident, not with me, because it's easier to find it with others. Um, but uh, some of my buddies went, they left yeshiva, and they went to a Washington Wizards game uh, in the middle of Zman. They went to an NBA game when they were supposed to be at Night Seder in Baltimore. They drove 45 minutes to D.C. Uh, and they went to a basketball game. And they were in 12th grade, and it was in the winter. And when they came back, um, there was a, five guys, five guys. My father called in four of them. He called in four and dealt with them however he dealt with them, each one differently. And he never, never called the fifth guy. Never called him in. And it, it killed him. It killed this kid. <laughs> Killed this kid. Like, does he even know I went? Like, he, he like, mom has kept him second guessing, you know? At, at his wedding, that's what he tells me. At his wedding, so they called up my father under the chuppah to take a bracha. And my father was standing there and they had the chuppah. And the, he says to my, you know, and after that, he's like, Rebbe, he's like, I'm telling you, this has been eating me since I'm in high school. <laughs> he's like, You never said anything to me. You never said. See, he, he, this guy tells me, he says, you know what your father did? He looked at me with a smile and he's like, it's, it all worked out, didn't it? You know, that, was, that was it. Like, you know, for, for him, that's how I needed to deal with him. Like, why? I could just guess. Maybe for this kid to be called in, he had too much pride that it would have broken him. I don't know. Some people are just tougher. Some people are like, yeah, okay. And they can handle it. And they can handle a little. They need that. They, they, they thrive off the back and forth and the struggle. And other people need to be 
you know, the, like the way they function is they need to be looked at like, like I'm actually, uh, like, you know, good. And so if they know that somebody knows they did something wrong, it can really break them. See what you do? You keep second guessing a little bit. Do I know? Do I not know? Whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't need to say anything. And it's a, it's, a, it's it takes seichel. It really takes seichel to know when to allow something to go completely, when to not allow it to go, and when to not allow it to go by doing nothing. Because that's also an avayda. That's also something that has been... And this is, you know, this is as um, something that Yitzchak really allowed for Esav. The Gemara tells us, we shared this uh, Gemara, I believe, in, on, on Shabbos a number of years ago. The Gemara tells us, uh, this Gemara in Tractate Shabbos, on Daf Peites, Daf Peites, page 89. The Gemara in Shabbos tells us that... Um, the Pasuk says, Ki ata avinu ki avram layadanu vi Yisrael loy yakiranu ata Hashem avinu gailenu me'aylam shemecha. The Gemara explains, based upon this Pasuk, that in the times of Mashiach, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to go, there's a beautiful idea. Anybody who heard this, hopefully will remember it, because it's, it's one of the divrei Torah mamish to remember. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the times of Mashiach, when Klai Yisrael is not at their best, is going to say to Avram avinu, Klai Yisrael has sinned, should I bring the geula? And Avram's going to say, uh, if, if they don't deserve it, then no. Which is surprising. Avram is chesed, but the Marsha says that what Avram really means is that our sins should be wiped out to make a Kiddush Hashem. But he, he wasn't so clear as to, to, in his wording, that Hashem should wipe out the Yidin, should he wipe out the Averos. He, he didn't want to tell Hashem what to do. It was like more of a humility there. He's not like, yeah, just let him go. You know, just let him go. It's Amr Avinu didn't say that. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know, Avram Avinu didn't give me a straight answer. He didn't tell me what to do. So I'm going to go to Yaakov. Because Yaakov had Tsar Gidobanim. He had a lot of pain raising his children, all the stories with Yaakov and all that. Maybe Yaakov will, you know, will pray for Klausol and tell me what to do. So Yaakov said, similar to Avram Avinu, and... Um, Hashem says, the expression he uses, the older one doesn't, is lacking tam, is lacking like flavor to me. And the younger one, when people are younger, they don't really have the ability to give advice. They don't have the experience. He says, maybe Avram's not pushing for it. Y- uh, Yaakov's not pushing for it. I'm going to go ask the middle one. I'm going to go ask Yitzchak. And he comes to Yitzchak, shall I let Klai Yisrael have the geula? And the Gemara says that Yitzchak says, why are you asking me about whether my children should have the gula? Aren't they your children too? Why are you coming to me? Okay? He says, when, he says to Hashem, when Klai Yisrael said, Nasa v'nishma, you called them B'ni B'chori Yisrael, my firstborn, Klai Yisrael. So he says, um, why are you calling them mine? Why are you calling them mine? They're also yours. You're also your father. Ask yourself, whether you should whether you should bring the gula, and even if you're going to say says Yitzchak, and even if you're going to say that I'm also partially responsible because I'm also a dad, okay, fine, you know, partners in this. Well, I'm yours. You're also my father, and me particularly, who was willing to offer myself up on the akeda, so my entire neshama and guf is set aside for you. And um, after this, Klal Yisrael is going to say. To Yitzchak, Atta Avinu, oh, you're the father that stands up for us. And Yitzchak's going to respond to Klau Yisrael, don't say, I'm your father, but rather, the way I pulled this off is because Hashem's your father. 
Go back to my original claim of why you should be saved. And therefore say to Hashem, Ata Avinu, which is what we do on Rosh Hashanah Kippur, right? Aki Ata Avinu. You're our father. And Klai Yisrael is going to look up to Shemayim and say, Ata Hashem Avinu, go aleinu me'olam shemecha. The Sadi Ger Rebbe explains. He says like this. He says, Avram Avinu, didn't he also have problems with his children? He had problems with his children. Right? He had Yishmo. What did Avram end up doing? Not because he chose to, but what ended up happening with Yishmo? He left his house. He left his house. Sarah said he had to go. Hashem told Avram to listen. He ended up uh, going away. Yaakov, even though he had difficulties raising his children, ultimately he had no kids who ended up really being wicked. Ultimately, he didn't have, you know, he went through teenage stuff and younger years stuff in their 20s, whatever. But ultimately, by the time Yaakov died, he had 12 tribes that, uh, that were perfect. The only one who could respond to a Klal Yisrael to keep them close, even at a time where they're off, was Yitzchak, who kept a close relationship with Esav while Esav was in his state of wickedness. Why? Because what Esav saying is, I, I'm sorry, what Yitzchak is saying is, ready? Not that Esav fooled me. Esav didn't fool Yitzchak. But rather, Yitzchak knew with Ruach HaKodesh, my trick to saving Klal Yisrael at any time is by me keeping this boy near me. Because as long as I keep this boy near me, and I stand by him, and I take with his rishus, I can always show up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, hey, Klal Yisrael is not doing the right thing, but look, look at me. I kept Esav. I kept Esav. You, uh, you keep them as well. That's what it means. He loved Esav. Why? Because he focused on the one thing. Kitzayid Bifiv. Esav does one nice thing for Yitzchak. He makes him food. Yeah? He traps for him. Yitzchak says, okay, that's enough. You get one nice thing from him. You, know, you have a little bit of covet. Esav had a lot of covet. But you, you, you have, uh, have kibbutz Avaim. I find a good quality, I'll keep you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to you, when you find a good quality in Klal Yisrael, is to, uh, is to be able to keep them as well. And that's ultimately why we say about Yitzchak, Ato Avinu, that uh, Yitzchak is one who ultimately, because he allowed Esav to stick with him, that's the schus that ultimately we could rely upon uh, the Asid Lavei. Okay, we'll hold it here. Uh, if anybody 